Funny how a phrase can be taken to mean two different things depending on how you emphasize the words. Today we are talking about this. If I say it like this, passing on the word of God, this could mean like it is when you play a game of cards and it's your turn to play, but you don't want to and you don't have to, so you say pass. In that sense, passing on the word of God would mean no thanks to its influence in your life. On the flip side, to say passing on the word of God, this would be like it is when you have a precious heirloom and you want to make sure it gets into the hands of your children safe and sound for their benefit and keeping. We are on the subject of scripture today. It is referred to as the word of God. Should you pass on the word of God or should you pass on the word of God? This is a question that you can ignore in talking about but not in practice. You will be doing one or the other. We are in 168 Discipleship and it is our contention that giving yourself space to regularly encounter God in scripture is a rhythm that leads to life. If you'll join me in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting verse 14, we read this. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. In this passage of scripture, we see that God's word is relevant, it's inspired, it's authoritative and transformative. That is, in a good way, you'll never be the same. While it is Family Day weekend, and this certainly is applicable to parents and grandparents, I think we're gonna see it's applicable to all of us. We should all want to pass on the word of God. It's not unreasonable to wonder how a book written so long ago could have anything meaningful to say to us in our cultural moment. But as you read Paul's letters to Timothy, you can see that in the background are elements of controversy, quarreling, division, suffering. Somehow, I don't think we have eliminated these things out of our existence. Paul writes about these last days, which can refer to any time after Christ's first coming and describes it like this. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying his power. Difficult times with difficult people. You could read Paul's description and if you didn't know it, think, huh, that sounds right about our day. And in the midst of that, Paul commends the centrality of the Old Testament, words that were written centuries before. But as for you, he writes to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from the childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible covers all ranges of topics, including the big ones, money, politics, sex, relationships. And from Paul's perspective, the sacred writings were relevant to the point that they shape not only your well-being today, but your eternity, if those writings are held in connection to a faith in Jesus. As Paul puts it, wise unto salvation. 
Timothy had had the privilege of learning about faith through his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. We read at the beginning of this letter, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. So from his childhood, Timothy was acquainted with the sacred writings of his faith. He had also been a protege of Paul and had been taught by him the word of God and seen it in action now in his grandmother, his mother, and his spiritual father, the very Apostle Paul, who says this, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in my life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. I think it's pretty easy for us to think that in one generation, the words of our parents, let alone grandparents, have no relevance. I once thought that. I mean, as a teenager, I knew better, as opposed to what was old school. And yes, principles need to be applied in a culturally relevant manner, but I've learned God's wisdom is never outdated, and wisdom keeps us from so much harm. You couldn't want more for yourself. You, you couldn't want more for your kids that they make good choices Experience wholeness both in this life and ultimately into eternity as they trust in Jesus. And this is the picture of salvation that happens through the wisdom that comes from God found in the scriptures. Timothy had been started in the scriptures by his family, taught the scriptures by the apostle. Yet Paul urges him as a young leader to continue in them. And the word continue means to abide. It means to live in the scriptures, and that's why we're talking about making space to encounter God in his word, to read it, study it, memorize it, and most importantly, do it and hold to it. All of this is part of continuing. And that's how Timothy was to live, and that is how Timothy was to lead, by the scriptures. And even though there are those within the church who wouldn't want to hear what he has to say, he is told, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. From Paul's perspective, not only are the scriptures relevant, but they are to be the primary means by which a Christian leads him or herself and by which we lead others. For every situation, we're to always be asking the question, what does the scripture say? When tempted in the desert by the devil, Jesus consistently resisted by referring to scripture. I mean, it's obvious that he had immersed himself in the scriptures quoting the, the book of Deuteronomy as to its absolute importance. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes, that proceeds from the mouth of God. Last week, we asked the question, how credible is the Bible? Can I trust it? And at this point, I want to take a moment to remind us of what exactly the Bible is. Paul urges Timothy to continue in the scriptures because of what it is. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. What does it mean for the scriptures to be breathed out by God? Well, this short video will help us to understand. 
When I was a kid, one of my aunts had an antique stereoscope in her living room. The stereoscope was sort of a 19th century version of the 3D TV. They came with a collection of black and white photographs that looked three-dimensional when you viewed them through the viewer. Each photograph had the same image printed on it twice, and the stereoscope played with the depth perception of your eyes, making the two images fuse together into a single three-dimensional scene. If you only looked through one lens, the picture was flat and two-dimensional, but when you looked through both lenses at the same time, it took on three-dimensional depth and life. The Bible is like this in some ways. There's a place in the New Testament where it says that the scriptures are God-breathed, that they were spoken by God. Theologians sometimes use the term inspiration to talk about this, the idea that God himself breathed out the words of the Bible. But how should we understand this? Some people approach the Bible as though it were literally dictated by God, that the humans who wrote it were just recording word for word what they heard God say, as clearly as if he were speaking to them on the telephone. Others dismiss the idea of divine inspiration altogether and feel that the Bible is just a human record of people's ideas about God, an interesting book, but not anything God wrote. Both of these approaches, seeing the Bible as simply a human creation or seeing the Bible as something dictated word for word by God, are kind of like looking at a stereoscope through only one lens. The picture is going to be flat. If we really want the Bible to come to life, we need to view it through both lenses at once. It's a human book that people wrote and edited and crafted, and at the same time, it's a divine book that God spoke and shaped and inspired. Maybe a musical analogy will help. Different musical instruments have different tonal qualities depending on the material they're made of and how the notes are sounded. A trumpet is bright and explosive. A clarinet is breathy and earthy. A kazoo is nasally and playful. The same musician could breathe into each of those instruments and her breath would produce three very distinct sounds. She could play the exact same song on all three instruments, the very same notes, and no matter how good she is, the clarinet won't ever sound like a trumpet, and the kazoo will never sound like a clarinet. If the musician is God, and her breath is God's spirit, and if the different instruments are the different authors who actually wrote the Bible, this is a useful way of thinking about inspiration. Because the authors who wrote the various books of the Bible had each encountered God in a unique, unrepeatable way. And then, while God's Spirit was working in their hearts, they recorded what it was God was saying to them through that encounter. Like a musician picking up an instrument, God's Spirit was breathing through them, determining the song that came out. But at the same time, they were writing as people, with individual personalities and perspectives and passions, all of which determined what they wrote. Just like a clarinet doesn't stop sounding like a clarinet, or a trumpet like a trumpet, just because it's the same musician playing both, the fact that God was speaking through them doesn't mean it wasn't also them speaking. And even though the words were their words, it's still God's word we're hearing when we read them. Or like it says in one place, the sacred writings don't have their origin in human beings, but human beings spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Human beings spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Those words were taken from the sacred writings of the New Testament. In 2 Peter, the Apostle Peter is describing his encounter on a mountain when Jesus was transfigured before them and became dazzling white, like an amazing experience, right? But Peter says, we have something more foundational to live by than our experience. Listen, and we have something more sure 
the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is written by different people in different times and different social strata, but what is common to all and why it really is a miracle of God is that there's this one unified story throughout the ages because each person didn't decide and interpret what they should write, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, writing in them prophetically, like a boat with its sail set to catch the wind as moved. They were moved upon by God's Spirit to write what God intended so that we could know in whom to trust, Jesus, and know how to live. Know, not just intellectually, but be made alive by it. After all, the words of, of God are God breathed. God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. When you spend time in God's word and open yourselves up to it, unwrap it, the word of God which brought life to Adam will bring life to your soul. The spirit who worked to write these words will, will work in you. The spirit and the word are, are complementary. How could we think it, it could be any other way? A while back, I was doing biblical studies while working 20 plus hours a week in financial planning, which was my background. I was taking a full course load, and on a particular week, I had to read a large swath of scripture for several days in a row. I remember coming through this like exceptionally busy season and in a moment of reflection thinking, huh, like, I don't feel that tired. I feel rather good. I feel spiritually alive. This should not be the case. And I wondered, was it that the very word of God I had been reading that had so nourished my soul that it was like I had run a marathon and I was ready to run another? God's word is active and alive. And because God's word is breathed out from him, we could never say with any integrity, well, I believe in Jesus, I love God, I love Jesus, but then ignore the very words that proceed from him. I'm doing it. I'm talking about authority. And that's become like a swear word, hasn't it? We value autonomy, self-direction, independence, doing it my way, and collaboration, sure, but never authority. But let's admit, we are all influenced by something. I mean, we, we just had the Super Bowl in which advertisers spent millions and millions of dollars to get 60 seconds with you, if you were watching, to influence your thinking towards their product. You don't think they've done their homework to know that it works before they cough up the big dollars? Media, Dr. Google, friends, pseudo-friends, cultural currents, algorithms, belief systems, there are a lot of sources of information. We have cultural ways of thinking. And, the big word for that is ideologies, and it's hard to resist some of these knowing you'll be canceled if you do. You may be more influenced than you think. What way of thinking, what way of living will you submit yourself to? That's a question of authority. In scripture, we have teaching, we have instruction, we have prophecy, wisdom. We also have commands, not suggestions, commands. In the Garden of Eden, God spoke to Adam and Eve. They had conversations, and part of God's communication to them was in the form of one simple command. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happens next completely reorientates the life of Adam and Eve and the whole world for, for the worse, and it has everything to do 
with how they respond to God's authoritative word of command. The temptation begins with the, the question, has God really said? A doubt on God's word, leading to an outright accusation that God is withholding good from them. They take the bait, and here we are. A world of mixture and mess with evil mixed into the good, the good God intended, complete with sickness, suffering, and injustice, because they did not obey. God's word was not authoritative to them. If we are to continue in God's word, that must mean that we'll allow it to influence our everyday decision and way of thinking and living and hold to it despite shifting perspectives, opposing viewpoints, or even our selfish motivations and desires of the flesh. Sometimes that's hard, which is why it is so helpful to do this in community with one another who want to be on the same path. And in so doing, we find life, we find God. Paul's words to Timothy remind us God's word is for us. It's for our good. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We are going to unpack these verses more thoroughly in a future talk, but notice here the end result of continuing in God's word. As we bring ourselves under God's word to immerse ourselves in it, to have it work its way into our thinking, our decisions, and our actions, we become complete or competent, equipped for every good work. Do you ever wish more for yourself, more for your kids, to grow, to become a better version of you? The word complete can, can have the idea of one who is fully fit. Metaphorically, like through God's word, we, we reach a, a spiritual maturity and it speaks of having a readiness to carry out whatever task or role that God would give to us. We are equipped for every good work. We don't start that way, but through the working of God's word, we get there. The good life is not about what we can get from God, but being in relationship with him. A partnership with God whereby we are entrusted to carry out his purposes, finding fulfillment as we do. And a big part of that purpose is to leave a legacy in others of faith, rooted in God's word. If you are watching today and you are a Christ follower, you, you and I have that faith because others carried it forward through the centuries until this faith that we have articulated in the scriptures came to us and we believed. The first account of the, of the church in the book of Acts describes at one point the passing on of faith like this as the word of God increased and multiplied. The teaching of the New Testament faith would also be recorded and written down as its instruction or word multiplied itself to where we stand today, creating not just natural families who follow Jesus, but beyond that, a, a, a worldwide spiritual family in which everyone is to think about how they too can pass on the faith which they have so graciously received, founded on Jesus Christ, articulated in his word, we now call the Bible. Pass it on. The hope is to raise a family committed in faith to Jesus Christ, centered on and reinforced by God's word. And beyond the natural, the spiritual family too. And, th and this is where it applies to each and every one of us, as it did to Paul, who, who called Timothy my son, and to whom Paul committed the things that he preached so that Timothy would then commit it to others who would teach it to others, who would teach it to others. 
and so on and so on. Live in the scriptures. Continue in the scriptures. Give it the time and attention it deserves. This will require some intentionality, likely doing without some of the, the distractions of news feeds and social media so that there's actually space to encounter God in his word. It can be done. Like while having your coffee and instead of going to Instagram immediately, going to your Bible app and reading, reading with your family after a meal together, listening to the scripture while driving in your car instead of that sports talk show. We can all start somewhere to live in the scriptures and do so not just for yourself, but so that its centrality in our lives can be multiplied in others, passing on the word of God. As a church, Central Heights, we want to come alongside for, for parents of younger kids. That's why we do Kids Church and We College. It's an opportunity for children to learn God's word and for adults to serve and in so doing, contribute to the legacy of scripture. And we have set up additional resources all at centralheights.ca. Click on the button, 21 days of encountering God in scripture. And starting on Monday, February 21st, we are inviting everyone to join together in reading through the Gospel of John. Yes, very simply, one chapter a day for 21 days. Every day, we have this opportunity, this invitation. God, out of his good pleasure, has communicated to us through his word. And we're invited to meet with him there, to encounter God in his word. Live in it be empowered by it, and then pass on this relevant, inspired, authoritative, transforming word of God to others. This is a rhythm that leads to life.